Heart of Grief is a program by Certified Grief Recovery Specialists Lori Penner and Brian McGee. Brian and Lori are not professional counselors. They do not offer therapy. If you are experiencing a crisis, please reach out to your local emergency or healthcare providers. What Lori and Brian offer in this podcast is an authentic, personal familiarity with the pain of loss and a straightforward approach to recovery that has proven transformative in the lives of thousands of grievers. As proud sponsors of the Grief Recovery Method programs, Martin Brothers Funeral Chapels in Lethbridge, Alberta are pleased to partner with Brian and Lori to bring you this podcast. We hope our listeners will discover genuine, practical help and encouragement. Welcome, or to our regular listeners, welcome back to the Heart of Grief podcast. This is Season 2, beginning here in April 2021. In this first episode of our new season, I'd like to talk about a subject that will be familiar to many of our listeners. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. DABDA for short. Many of us have heard these and recognize them as the five stages drawn from the work of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross regarding death and dying and then also suggested as being applicable to the experience of grief. In this episode, I want to examine the idea of stage theory in grief. This idea has been around for over 50 years, but is it accurate? Is it helpful? I want to start by sharing with you an event that happened in my life about a dozen years ago when I was an apprentice funeral director. One particular occasion as part of my training I was sitting in as an observer on a funeral arrangements meeting. Along with the funeral director and myself, there was a lady whose husband had died, as well as the lady's young adult daughter. Uh, During their conversation with the funeral director, as the sadness of the death was being acknowledged, the young lady spoke up. She explained that she was attending college and was learning about stage theory in grief. Out of her understandable sadness, she said, I've learned how it works. I just hope I will move through all the stages quickly so I can feel better soon. At the time, I had been through a personal grief recovery program, had received my certification training with the Grief Recovery Institute, and had facilitated a number of our eight-week grief recovery method programs. My thought although I kept it to myself, of course, was, oh no, you have unintentionally submitted yourself to a false concept of grieving that holds no promise to help you feel better. Why did I think that way? Because I had learned how we, as a society, have become to believe in stages of grief, something, by the way, that I too had been taught in college and I had since learned why they aren't actually accurate or helpful. And even more personally important, I had experienced some very difficult personal loss for which I had found no connection or help from any expected and predictable movement of stages. The ones suggested in DABDA did not fit me at all. Later, as I reflected on the young lady's comment, the image of a science fiction tractor beam came to my mind. 
The Oxford Dictionary uh, describes it this way. In science fiction, a tractor beam is a hypothetical beam of energy that can be used to move objects such as spaceships or hold them stationary. Once a tractor beam takes hold, as, of course, probably all of uh, our listeners here are aware, an object has little it can do but wait and allow the mysterious forces at play to lead it to some set destination and hope there is something good at the other end. Trusting our grief experiences to a stage theory is a lot like that. It's as though our loss has made us subject to the impersonal forces of grief stages. We are caught in it. We can only allow it to run its course and hope it'll be over soon so we can feel better. There's nothing we can actually do but wait it out, and perhaps at best choose our attitude in the interim. Much has been written about stage theory and grief, Much of it has been drawn from the work of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. In this podcast, we can only touch briefly on the reasons why we see the idea as neither accurate nor helpful. And just to provide some clarity about the initial work of Dr. Kubler-Ross, it's important to know that her initial work was applied to the experiences, actually more accurately, it was drawn from the experiences of people, who had been given a a diagnosis of terminal illness. She herself acknowledged that not all the people they interviewed experienced all the stages. Not all the people who experience the diagnosis of a terminal illness will experience all the stages. And she also recognized that there was no set predictable order in the stages. The question is then, why refer to a pattern of set stages at all if there's so much variance? None of this, by the way, is intended to minimize all the good work that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did in gaining greater understanding of the issues of death and dying, or in promoting greater attention to the needs for hospice and palliative care. I want to go back to another event from my life as a student in funeral service. As part of my college program, I was required to write a final research paper and give a presentation on some aspect of death care. I chose to do mine on stage theory, and I have looked high and low for that paper, but 12 years after the fact, I just can't find it. That's frustrating. However, I do remember some of the key points from it. Actually, the first thing to note from this event is that my college program very much taught and supported stage theory as the normative approach to addressing grief. This was in spite of the fact that it has never been established through actual research. It was pretty much just adopted based on the plethora of acceptance by so many authorities over so many years. That remains the case today in many college programs and sadly among many professionals who offer care to people struggling with loss. As I recall, there were two things I focused on in my paper. First, the five stages suggested by Dr. Kubler-Ross are not the only model offered. There are models with as few as three stages, and there is at least one that suggests there are 12 different stages If there are really common stages that most people will experience, even if not in the same order, 
How can it be that there is such a range of numbers and particular responses in the various models? How does that help people know what to expect? The second thing I remember from my paper is that people do not report experiencing loss in a way that identifies fully with any of the stage models. There are almost always variations of some sort. So there's no agreement on what the actual stages are or how many there are. People normally do not experience grief in sync with any of the models. There's almost always as much variance as there is agreement. So I invite you to think about it. Isn't it much more accurate and helpful to say that grief involves a large number and wide range of emotions? Emotions, not stages. Many are common to the general experience of loss, but not everyone experiences all of them. We maintain in our grief recovery work that every grief experience is unique and involves a unique experience of feelings and responses. The idea of certain stages does not reflect this diversity or help the griever find resolution. My main concern here is that while the various stage theories are offered with a desire to understand grief and help the griever, they really do not. First of all, because they do not accurately reflect people's experience. Secondly, they create an unhelpful expectation that if they wait, they will move, or more accurately, they will be drawn through a pretty much set series of emotional stages and will eventually come out feeling better somehow. At this point, I'd like to bring my colleague Lori Penner into the story. Actually, Lori uh, was unable to join me for this episode, but she gave me her permission to share her experience with you. Lori served for 17 years as a victim services worker, serving with police officers and coming alongside people who had experienced a sudden, difficult loss. She served in this way because she wanted to help hurting people. She always felt ill-equipped as far as any real help she could offer, other than her caring presence, which, by the way, should not be minimized in its importance. Then a time came when she was provided an opportunity to take some training in grief care. The program was provided by a well-known expert in death and loss, and it focused on stage theory. With this training, Lori finally felt she had something she could actually offer to people that would give them something to go on, some hope that they would get to a better place. She offered the concepts of stage theory in good faith, trusting that the training she received held promise for the bereaved people she was called to encourage. When Lori later received her training with the Grief Recovery Institute, she was given an opportunity to more fully uh, look at stage theory critically and became sadly aware of how unhelpful it really is. It was out of Lori's sincere desire to help grievers that she embraced and offered stage theory. It was easy to learn and to explain to others, and at the time she wasn't aware of anything else that could do that. I believe personally that that's the reason the idea perpetuates so strongly even today, even amongst professional people. It's an easy concept to remember. It can be easily passed on to the hurting people that you're around. And people aren't aware that there's anything else better to offer. 
Now, this podcast is not a research report, but I would like to read from one professional article that I believe well represents the position we take and the prevailing academic position, actually, regarding stages. This is from the Journal of the American Medical Association and was submitted by Dr. Roxanne Cohen-Silver from the University of California, Irvine. Uh, This little article was written in response to a study that had been done uh, earlier at Stony Brook University in New York. So Dr. Silver writes, We believe that the variability in the nature and course of grief makes it untenable to maintain that the stage theory of grief remains a widely accepted model of bereavement adjustment. Not everyone goes through an orderly sequence of reactions with defined stages. And then she finishes up by addressing some of the uh, unfortunate impact of a continued looking to stage theory for help. She says, A mistaken belief in the stage model of response to loss can have devastating consequences. Not only can it lead bereaved persons to feel that they are not coping appropriately, but it also can result in ineffective support provision by members of their social network, as well as unhelpful and potentially harmful responses by healthcare professionals. So that's the end of this quote from Dr. Silver. One of my main concerns in this is that in spite of the reports such as this, we continue to see it being utilized even in health services contexts where people are being told by trusted professionals that's, that this stage model is likely to be helpful to them in some way. And that does concern me. Now, I'd like to come back to the tractor beam metaphor. Remember the definition. Um, a tractor beam is a hypothetical beam of energy that can be used to move objects such as spaceships or hold them stationary. The essential problem with stage theory, in my view, is not so much that it takes the griever to a bad place, or even that it fails to take them to a good place, but that it holds them in one place, the place of pain from loss, so it tends to keep them stuck. What the Grief Recovery Method program offers is both an acknowledgement of the common, normal emotions and responses to loss, along with a series of actions that the griever can take that actually lead to resolution of the lingering pain associated with significant loss. Now, as our return listeners will know, we like to end our programs with what we call our Something to Do segment. This is an invitation to take some small personal action in response to the topic. For this episode, I'd like to invite you to recall one or more losses that you've had. As you recall the circumstances, ask yourself if you recognize in your responses the stages of DABDA, even if not in that order. So, did you ever deny that the loss actually happened? We're not talking about an an emotional disbelief that it did happen, but a denial that it actually happened. Occasionally, people do, in which case they would likely not admit to grieving at all. Were you ever angry? Sometimes people really are angry, and I have definitely been angry myself following a loss. Did you find yourself, as you look back, 
um, entering into something you would call bargaining in some way or other, maybe with God, thinking that if you act better somehow, it'll all get better. Did you experience depression? And remember that depression is something far more difficult and debilitating than the normal sadness following a loss. And then there's acceptance. Would you say that you came to a place of conscious acceptance of the loss and a readiness to make adjustments for going forward well with your life? Or did you just keep trudging on with the hurt and the disappointment relegated to the background of your thoughts? There's no doubt that many people experience some of these things. The question is, does it happen with sufficient consistency to warrant calling it a predictable, normative series of stages? You've probably guessed that we do not, and we contend that looking to it that way can be detrimental. What the Grief Recovery Method programs offer is an acknowledgement of the many varied emotions associated with loss, along with a series of actions that the griever can take that actually lead to resolution of the lingering pain. That's what's at the heart of our programs, and we'd love to talk with you about it and explain more. If you'd like to look further into this topic, we've added a link or two in our program notes. Our next episode is scheduled for April 21st. We would be honored to have you listen. Until then, please take care. As mentioned, we love to receive comments and questions from our listeners. We invite emails to feedback at theheartofgrief.com. If you'd like to send us paper mail, it can go to The Heart of Grief, care of 610 4th Street South, Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, T1J4P3. And of course, you can subscribe through your podcast service provider.